being queer is holy, our love is holy too. Christians who say otherwise don't know the Bible. Woo! Homosexuality is not a sin, being LGBT is not a sin. You start seeing Jesus tear down patriarchy. Jesus himself would have been considered feminine, and I know that's going to come as a uh, shock to so many people. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship here this morning, I want you to hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy. And so now you don't have any fear of going to hell? I don't believe in hell anymore. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in hell? No. Do you believe in heaven? Uh, ish. Maybe minorities, sexual and gender minorities, have something to teach the church about dying to self, about new life, about... sign of God's judgment, okay. As I was studying and looking into Brandon's teachings, I watched many hours of them. Well, I discovered one particular video where he teaches on truth, the nature of truth, incarnational truth, the Garden of Eden, Jesus, all these things. This teaching, I think, gives a great summary of a way of approaching scripture that is a car accident of theology. And if we can understand the wrongness of this theology, it will make us better at being right with theology. I mean, you know, when you show a, a student who's learning to drive videos of a car accident, it helps them drive more carefully when they're on the road. And it's the same sense here. You're going to watch basically a theological car accident in order that you might better know how to avoid the same problems that this, this particular movement has. This is one of the branches of progressive Christianity, we'll use that term because that's the term they use. Brandon Robertson labels himself as a progressive Christian theologian and advocate. And this is one branch of that. We are going to say this is not faithful to Christ. This is fundamentally flawed and it's, an, it, it's in a very bad way and it will end up causing great harm to those who follow it. But there's a quick disclaimer I want to offer. Uh, my quick disclaimer is this. There are some who commented in my previous video uh, mocking Brandon for silly things. We want to be honest and condemn the bad theology, yes, but I don't want to see people making fun of appearances, making fun of secondary issues. I mean, God does not judge by those things. So we need to be those, I pray, on this YouTube channel, the community of those who decide to partake of, of this content and comment below, that we would represent a, a faithfulness to God, a willingness to call out heresy and error, but also right fair judgment, right judgment, and not reacting with the flesh to what is wrong teaching. So here we go. This is the truth sermon that gave me a real window into the, the, the deeply flawed but brilliant theology of progressive Christianity, at least in the case of Brandon Robertson. Let's start as we survey through the sermon he taught. Let's start with his view of Genesis. And then we go into that saga about the first humans, the Adam and Eve. And in that story, we're told that God creates humans in God's own image the God who desires truth and the God who is truth. So it makes sense that humans would really love to comprehend the truth so that we would be like God. God gives humans freedom to learn and to explore and examine in the garden called Eden. 
but in almost a kind of cruel fashion, God creates a prohibition. You can eat and examine every tree in the garden, except that one in the middle. That's the tree of knowledge, God says. Don't eat of that, or you'll, you will surely die. Do you see the setup here? Humans are made in God's image. Humans desire to know the truth and to pursue knowledge. And that's the one thing God in Genesis says humans cannot pursue. They cannot eat of that tree of knowledge. And then the serpent speaks a word of truth. No, 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 he says. God just doesn't want you to eat of that tree because if you do, you will gain knowledge. You'll be like God. You won't actually die. So they eat the fruit. Their eyes are opened. Their minds are expanded. And it's a really strange story if you think about it. Because no matter how you look at this, you've got some really interesting actions coming from the God figure and the Satan figure. Here we have God actually kind of lying. If not, at least not being clear with God's own words. Because the truth is that Adam and Eve don't die after they eat up the fruit of the tree. In fact, the serpent tells the truth. Their eyes are opened. Their knowledge does, in fact, expand. And they don't die immediately. All right. So God is the liar. Satan's telling us. God is deceiving. The serpent is being honest and open and telling the truth. How does this happen? Why is the theology there? This is not just to malign God. I mean, I think it maligns God very clearly, but not the purpose of it. Exactly. The purpose of it is to set up sort of a, a contrast with Jesus that he'll come to later. So keep in mind that, that he's going to try to make uh, the God of the Old Testament in particular in Genesis look bad to make Jesus look like he's different and he's an alternate option. And then he can make Jesus disagree with the Bible is what it's going to come down to. But let's talk about this briefly before we move on to the next clip where you'll hear how he recasts Jesus, how he retells the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Um so is, is it true that God lies? Well, the only way in which Brandon could try to justify the idea that God is deceiving anybody in Genesis is merely because they didn't die the day they ate of the fruit, right? Well, God says the day you eat of it, you will die. Now, Brandon Robertson would accuse many like myself of having a wooden or very hyper-literal approach to scripture. But this is where Brandon is actually the one with the hyper-literal approach to Genesis. He is thinking that the word day, when God says, the day you eat of it, you will die, that that has to be a 24-hour day. It won't just be like when you eat of it, like speaking of a general time period, as the word, the word day is used that way in Genesis chapter 2. There's no reason why it can't be used that way in Genesis chapter 3. So day here represents, right, when you eat of it, you will die. And certainly Adam dies. And the New Testament throughout the scripture, the New Testament really hones in on this. And it says like death came through Adam when he sinned, and then death came to all of us because all sinned. So we have death was really the result of the fall. It's only if you think that, that the death had to happen within 24 hours, the fullness of all of the consequences by taking that word day hyper-literally. It's odd that Brandon will be one who will accuse me, and he has like on Twitter and stuff, of being too literal. And so it's strange to me to see that happening here, but that hyper-literal pr approach is in order to suggest that God is being deceitful. What does the text actually say? I mean, do I really have to tell you this? I guess I do, <laughs> but in Genesis chapter 3, we, we get some commentary on this, that, that, they, that God is not the one who's being deceiving here. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, we have the statement, uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
So the serpent is the one who lies, right? The, the thing that Brandon left out that the serpent said is you shall not die, right? But they are going to die. Death is going to be the result. They will not be eating of the tree of life. They will not be having eternal life here. They're going to die. This is because of the deception of the serpent and it's saying you will not die and then Eve partakes of the fruit. This is not hard to see. There's no way that any serious person can justify, can properly justify taking Genesis and flipping it inside out like this and making God the deceiver and making the serpent the one who's helping you. And I'll use the term Brandon uses, remember this term, expand your mind. That's a term he's going to really hone in on really soon here. So the Old Testament God, he doesn't want you to have knowledge. He doesn't, he doesn't want those things. Brandon's going to couch him as being a God of, of rules. And the, the, the New Testament Jesus, he has a different perspective that disagrees with the Old Testament. It disagrees with the way God is portrayed in much of the Old Testament. Listen to this next clip where Brandon talks about who Jesus is and how how he wants to pit Jesus against God. This is, this is uh, something I'll, I complain about a lot because I see it in different theological camps to, to make Jesus sort of the, the, um, the opposition of the teaching of the Old Testament instead of the fulfillment of it. The word that's most often translated repent in our Bibles is the word metanoia in Greek. Meta literally means to expand. Noia means your mind. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, he's not saying anything about being sorry for our sins. No, he's actually telling us to expand our minds so that we're able to begin to grasp more of this new reality that he calls the kingdom of God. So catch this, right? This, this is the same teaching here. And we're going to see more clips from it so you can catch all of the sort of the, the, the main points of his teaching. But, you know, the Old Testament God, the God in Genesis, this Genesis garden God character. That's how Brandon will characterize the book of Genesis, the story of Genesis, this, the God character. He doesn't want you to know things. He doesn't want you to expand your mind. Uh, and he's deceiving you about about knowledge. And then the serpent, of course, he's like the good guy. To, to think this is Christian theology is... Um, anyway, so you know. But then you get to Jesus. And Jesus, when he's preaching repent, Christians have misunderstood. He didn't mean turn from your sin. He meant expand your mind. Jesus is here saying, eat of the tree. Jesus is echoing the serpent now. And we find that there's a conflict between, and I'm not, you, if you think I'm going too far with Brandon's teaching, just wait, I'm going to share more clips with you in just a moment. So Jesus, he says, expand your mind. Now, one question we want to ask here, if, if we're going to be careful with scripture and care about the truth of what Jesus says and who, who he really was, the word repent, does it really mean expand your mind? Uh, Brandon takes the word and he breaks it into its etymological pieces, meta and noia, right? These two, meta noia, this is the word repent. Meta, he says, means expand and noia is your mind. Well, noia does mean mind, right, or thinking. And meta does not mean expand. This is not real. This is not true. I don't know that expand is actually in the what's called the semantic range of the word meta. If it is, it's not in the sense that Brandon's using it. It's kind of a mystical interpretation he's offering of this word. There's there's a reason why translations uh, all, all across the board translate this word repent or something like it. I did a survey of translations, 18 translations. Not a single one of them translates it, expand your mind, right? We have the King James, New King James, NASB, NIV, NRSV, NLT, CSB, LEV, NET, ISV, RSV, ASV, Darby Bible, the Dewey Reuse Bible. We have all of these that say it's repent. They just translate the word repent. This is not because these are cisgendered males. I'm, I'm, I'm using the terms of, the, of progressive 
uh, some progressive Christians who will critique these translations because they think they're coming from like a particular camp, right? It's just what the word means in context. We can actually look at it the way Jesus uses the word. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, we have the following. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, this is interesting. So not only does the word we'll see in the context of scripture, in, in the New Testament in particular, it tends to mean turning from bad behaviors and bad ways and wrong ways of thinking to turning to believing in God. So you're, you're repenting of sin. Sin is connected to the idea of repenting, um, as it is in the typical English usage of the term. But here he says, repent in sackcloth and ashes. Now, if repent meant expand your mind, why does Jesus think it takes place in sackcloth and ashes? This taps into very strong cultural understandings of the time that this is about mourning and grieving because of your past behavior. Tyre and Sidon are pictures here of sinful groups of people that should have repented but did not, should have stopped their sins but did not. And so this is clearly Jesus using the term, not as a sort of mystical mind expansion thing, but using the term as turning from sin. We get the same statement in Luke chapter 10, verse 13, where he says that they would have repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and implies that there's some sort of future judgment for them and for Capernaum and Bethsaida, Chorazin, that these people who are not repenting, not turning from their sin even today. What about Jesus in Luke 13, 3, though, where you can't take it to mean expand your mind here. He says, I will tell you, unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish. So this is not like, hey guys, come expand your minds because there's like this sort of fluffy kind of new agey sort of universalism kind of thing going on here. He's like, hey, you need to turn from your sin. Jesus was the kind of annoying preacher that a lot of progressive Christians want to complain about. Jesus just was that person. And it's it's not because he's trying to be a jerk. It's because sin really is going to bring death, right? That tree is going to bring death. And we're heading towards it in our lives. And we need repentance to turn to God in faith. It's that old annoying gospel message. It, it doesn't come from... from um, power centers, and it doesn't come from authority people or patriarchy. It comes from God, Jesus, speaking to us, communicating to us that we need to turn lest we likewise will perish. To make this point even stronger, uh, and, and again, I'm kind of trying to use bad theology to teach us good theology here. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, 41. And in this passage, Jesus thinks, obviously, thinks that Nineveh is an example of what repentance looks like. And we, we know the story of Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh. We'll read, I'll read it to you in just a moment. And this is, we're going to get, <clears throat> we're going to get Bible study going here. So in Matthew 12, 41, it says, then the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus appeals to Jonah and he appeals to Jonah that the book of Jonah and the, the account of Nineveh as an example of what he thinks repentance looks like. So here's a great way, not going to fake use of etymology, not, not saying meta means expand, right? But, but rather looking at the use of a word in context, that's probably the most important way to understand any word, English, Greek, any language at all. And we can go to Jonah chapter three, verses four through 10 and see what Jesus was talking about. This is what he thought repentance looked like. Jonah began to go into the city, and going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he has a message of judgment. He probably taught more than that one sentence. Sometimes we act like that's all he said. This is a summary, I think. But anyway, it goes on. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. 
from the greatest of them to the least of them. Again, this is this is a mourning time. This is a grieving time because to them, repentance is going to be turning from sin and sorrowing and mourning over the wickedness they've committed. As it goes on, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call mightily to God. This is clearly the same kind of thing Jesus is talking about, even uses the imagery of sackcloth and ashes. Let everyone turn from his evil way. And from the violence that is in his hands, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And indeed God does. He gives them grace and mercy. Why? Because they acknowledge their sin and they turn from it. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says repent. And it's the message we have to the world today is turn from your sins and turn to Christ. He will forgive you. He will He will release you from all of the burdens of your guilt and your shame, and he will welcome you into his kindness and forgiveness. This is the message of the gospel. Repent is part of the gospel. It doesn't mean expand your mind. That's what Jesus meant by it. That should be obvious from the verses I share with you. But look now. Let's pretend you didn't know any of that. Pretend that you thought Brandon was was, was really understanding Genesis right and understanding Jesus right, right? God, bad God doesn't want you to know things. Jesus wants you to know things. In fact, expanding your mind is the whole purpose of the gospel message. Listen to now how he summarizes all of these things about the Old Testament compared to Jesus. When you take Jesus' understanding of salvation and contrast it with the Garden of Eden story, we begin to see two different perspectives. In Genesis, we're told the God figure desires for humans to stay finite in our capacity to understand truth. God doesn't want us to eat from the tree, because if we do, then our capacity to grasp truth will expand. We'll become like God. But by the time Jesus appears on the scene, he begins teaching that in order to participate in the world that God desires, we must always begin by expanding our minds, broadening our perspective, seeking to see the world from an increasingly divine perspective. Do you see that the the Old Testament God is scared? And Brandon doesn't think that that's truth about God. He thinks that, that the Bible has some right things, some wrong things, and this allows him to sort of reconstruct the biblical teaching in a way that affirms whatever it is that, that his, his theology is wanting to affirm. So he makes the God of the Old Testament who has rules and regulations that he doesn't approve of, that he doesn't want, he makes him into like the bad guy. And then Jesus comes around and Jesus is the good guy who's who's echoing the words of the serpent and wants you to expand your mind. Now, this isn't really new. This is theology that I've seen with Greg Boyd. It's not the same as Greg Boyd. I don't think Greg Boyd would agree with Brandon Robertson's reconstruction here at all. I don't think he would. I could be wrong. Um, but it's the principles that he's using to get this reconstruction are very similar. Greg Boyd would teach that we, we've got this sort of Old Testament um, presentation of God that's not true about God. Like you can't rely on all the things the Bible's telling you about who God is and what God does. Uh, Brian Zahn does the same thing. Brian Zahn thinks that Jesus is his, is his buddy who's going to help him know where to disagree with the Bible on issues. And I think a, a good understanding, a careful and thoughtful understanding of Scripture alleviates all of the problems these guys are seeing. Steve Chalk is another one who is in the same camp. I, I worry a little bit about Bethel because Bethel, um, Bill Johnson's teaching, there's places where he touches on this too. So it's weird to me. 
being someone who cares about the sort of global teaching that's going out there on the on the internet that's affecting and impacting people's lives i'm concerned because there's a common thread through very different camps who don't even have the same theology as each other and the common thread is this idea that we're going to take our version of jesus and we're going to make him disagree with various parts of the old testament in order to reform our new christian theology as you know in a way that fits it makes it so Jesus is, is with me, disagreeing with scripture in various places. This is a problem. So the next clip we're going to get is where um, Brandon Robertson's going to reverend, right, theologian. The, and those are those are true statements about Brandon. He's a reverend. He's a theologian. He's leading groups of people. Uh, you would, and, and they're very open about how they're progressive Christians. Now, he's going to need to morph the principle that he's got with Jesus is, is at odds with places of the Old Testament, with even things that God is doing in the Old Testament, according to the text. He's going to take that principle and he's going to morph it into permission to reinvent sort of a new Christianity that embraces his progressive views. So listen to this. It's, it's, it's so clever. I mean, points for cleverness and thoughtfulness, but just no points for truthfulness here and accuracy. So let's redefine now. Step one is going to be redefine the word truth. See if you can follow this, because I think that the people even hearing his teaching don't really know what they're hearing. It's so esoteric that I think that a lot of people don't get it. Hopefully, I'm making it accessible to you now. In fact, one of the last things Jesus tells his disciples is this, that when I go from you, I will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will continue to lead you into all the truth, which naturally then means that all the truth hasn't been revealed, that there is a wider and broader understanding of truth. See, we have this trajectory from the beginning of Scripture to the end, that outlines the trajectory of human evolution. We begin with darkness, and light begins to expand. We begin with a God who's initially afraid of humans pursuing knowledge, grasping for truth. And then we end with one who is called the incarnation of God, that shows us that truth is dynamic, not static, and that we should continue to seek it out through the expansion of our minds. Did you catch this? That, that was that was a, a really good moment for us, at least understanding and grasping the theology that's being taught in this case from uh, Reverend Brandon Robertson. The theology is, right, God doesn't want you to know things. Jesus, he comes and says, <clears throat> no, no, you, you know, in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, yeah, you should know things. In fact, don't, don't turn from your sin. That's not the message. The message is expand your mind, which means you're sort of growing into new revelations, new understandings of things. Then... He also says the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to, what, lead you into all truth, which will be new versions of truth, new understandings of truth. And it's not just the Old Testament. The New Testament also affirms that it was the serpent who was the deceiver. It's strange that I have to make this case. But Brandon thinks that after Jesus came, the Holy Spirit's guiding us into newer truths, different kinds of truths. But no, Scripture says right here, after Jesus has already come, the Holy Spirit's already been given, guiding them into truth and being guided in truth. What does it say? It says that Eve was deceived by the cunning of the serpent. It also says the same thing in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that that great dragon, Satan, he's the ancient serpent. He's the deceiver of the whole world. And may I say, Brandon's affirming the deceptions of Satan even today. You might think I'm overreacting, but I think that's just an accurate description of what's happening. Progressive theology, as it's represented in people like Brandon Robertson, is the voice of Satan today. It's the echoes of the serpent. And now we get into the, probably the most clever part 
of of all of the theology stuff that I heard from Brandon Robertson. And it's going to take us, I'll give you a spoiler, it's going to take us from the idea of learning new truths and understanding truth better that, that he's he's taken from hijacking statements from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. And he's going to talk about how there's different kinds of truth. So in the Old Testament, there is this sort of like objective rule type truth. Then Jesus comes and he gives us incarnate truth. And then we now live our own incarnated truth. That's the preview. Listen to the theology. It's not Christian, but it's very clever. And it is in the name of Christ. If in Judeo-Christian consciousness, truth and God are synonymous, then Christians necessarily traditionally believe that in Jesus, truth becomes flesh. And this image of the flesh of Jesus and Jesus entering into flesh and becoming the truth incarnate, we also learn that truth cannot be static. It's dynamic. It's relational. It grows and progresses and evolves based on whatever context it's in, which is incredibly different than the common understanding of truth in most churches today, isn't it? This is, this is literally nonsense. It's literally nonsense, but it's nonsense built on the name of Jesus. So Jesus comes and he is incarnate truth. Okay, well, there's, see, there's something truth. There's always a nugget of truth in the things that are being said here. So Jesus, he's like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's also incarnated, right? He's, he's in the flesh. He has a human body. So that's true. You could, you could kind of say he's incarnated truth, but that's what he means by incarnated truth is truth that's sort of malleable and shifting, and it's not based on rules. People don't like rules. I get it. I get that people don't like rules. But these are throwaway statements that fog the mind and keep you from thinking clearly about things. Because everything that Brandon's teaching you is based on objective truth claims. All of the claims he makes about truth not being objective when it comes to Jesus, every one of those claims is an objective truth claim. A tiny bit of philosophy, a, a tiny bit would, would help to clear the fog away here, I think, to say, look, wait a minute. You're self-refuting here because everything you're doing is truth claims, truth claims, truth claims, how it is, how it is, how it is. And he has rules just as much as anybody else has rules. He just has rules. That's the thing. But he wants to claim these aren't rules. At any rate, you get the idea. You know, truth we don't like that much, Old Testament type stuff. Truth we really like, Jesus. It's flexible. It's malleable. And it's projecting forward. Where the Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into new truths. So the next step, the final step, is going to be incarnated truth in you. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You, too, have the truth in you. You have your own truth. This is a payoff moment. This is what the study's been building towards. This is what the theology, all of the weirdness that's been foisted upon Scripture has, has been intending to bring us to this point right here. We've talked about absolute truth. We've talked about factual truth. And now I want to talk about incarnate, or what could be called your truth. Every day, we're called to live in awe and curiosity of the absolute truth. We're called to observe and to note the factual truth. And both of these create the context where we create this byproduct that I'm calling our truth, as we've understood it and believe it today. If we want to live whole lives, we must live in alignment with our truth, the truth as we experience it and understand it. Whenever we try to live out of sync with our truth, our lives seem to go awry. And LGBT people, for instance, we do this in a profoundly real way. If you try to hide your true self from the world around you, we have found that 
that pressure, that bottling up of conformity will create the sense of stress and pain and suffering in our lives. To live according to our truth is dangerous and beautiful. And it's absolutely necessary to live a meaningful life. Does it make sense now? Your truth, which in his mind is rooted in your sexual or gender identity issues, which, which then is incarnated truth, which is the truth that we've been being drawn towards through Jesus, according to him. You need to live that. It's holiness. It's imitating Jesus to live out your identity. This is all been intentional. This has all been deliberate. It's very brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. It really is. It's totally inconsistent with scripture. It's something that would have been foreign and rejected by the apostles, by Jesus. It it can't be sustained reasonably, right? I don't think there's a rational or theological support for it that's, that's, that's really there. But if you buy into the idea that you don't have to take the scripture as authoritative, really, right? You, you just take it sort of more like, again, it's a paint palette. You don't have... What does the Bible teach us in Genesis? I, you know, I, I'm going to look at this, try to understand it in genre. You know, some of it's literal, some of it's symbolic, some of it's this. But I'm going to try to understand what it actually was intended to mean. Instead, I can take it and it's just sort of like colors of paint. I'll take some black from Genesis. I'll take some white from Exodus. I'll take some blue from Jesus. I'll take some some yellow over here from the Holy Spirit teachings. And I'm going to paint a new picture of a new Christianity. This is why because of its incarnational truth, this teaching, this is why Brandon can say things like your, your polyamorous experimentations are holy. Your, your uh, lesbian gay relationships are holy. They're not just acceptable. They're actually holy because they're living into the image of Jesus because it's your incarnated truth. Christian terms, unchristian teachings. That's why he can say things like this. Being queer is holy. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy. So this is a new Christianity. Like we should be able to acknowledge this. And I think any level-headed person, Christian or non-Christian, should recognize like this is not actually authentically Christian. But this is how Brandon Robertson presents it. If there's any message that Christianity uniquely offers to the world, it's this. That truth is relational and dynamic and incarnated. That life is truth. That living is truth. And anytime we divorce our conception of truth from our incarnated reality, we create a dangerous division that ultimately causes destruction in our world. Truth divorced from an incarnate reality becomes nothing more than a battering ram for the privileged and the powerful to beat people into conformity. Truth that is incarnated is held with conviction and curiosity and humility. Our response to this isn't isn't to just say, I disagree with everything you say. It's rather to say this stuff, that's just not the Christian perspective, right? The Christian perspective is to say, we all have problems in our temptations and our desires. We all have things we need to repent of, like turn from sin. This this is something that's true about all of us. Our incarnational truth is that we're in the flesh, right? Then this is a problem, my incarnate flesh, right? I'm in the flesh and I need to be rescued from me. That's what I need Jesus to do for me. I don't need to live into that, live into my flesh, whatever desires, temptations I have, and just call it holy or try put like kindness sprinkled in and, and some type of fidelity sprinkled into the, the things that I want to do that are sinful. I got to turn from that stuff to follow God. I, I think, and this is, 
this is more LGBT stuff, but the, the two movements, while they're not trying to do the same thing, they are kind of teaming up. They're holding hands because the same basic agenda of reinterpreting Jesus and Christianity to fit modern agendas, that's what's really going on here. And this is one of my biggest critiques against progressive Christianity. They will often rightly criticize, say, even American evangelicals for having sometimes pushed their, their own modern views onto Christianity. And that's, that's, that's a legitimate criticism. But their solution is not to go back to the authentic Jesus, not to go back to truth of scripture, not to check all of my modern values and positions against the truth and infallibility of God's word. Instead, the solution is to just make a new version of Christianity based on an even larger distortion of the text of scripture to fit modern progressive ideas. The next clip you got to hear, this sums it up. This sums up the whole thing until now. I think that you you can you can get it now you understand the theology i think and when you hear this in the future you'll know where it's coming from there's no lack of intelligence here it's folly but it's not dumb dumb folly right it's thoughtful brilliant carefully constructed folly in genesis we see human understanding of god that desires us to conform to be faithful to hear to adhere to a set of propositional truths and then the rest of the Hebrew Bible lays out objective truths and rules and regulations that God supposedly requires. But in Jesus and beyond, we see that propositional truth isn't objectively true at all. Jesus looks at the propositions of the Hebrew Bible and says, you have heard it said, and quotes, but I say to you, and gives a new, a better, a higher moral standard than that which was previously said to be true. It makes sense then that by the time we get to Jesus, salvation isn't talked about as conformity to ancient propositions, but dedication to following the wild winds of spirit, constantly metanoiaing, expanding our minds to perceive the new contours and textures and terrains of this thing called truth. By the time we get to Jesus, we see that the concept of truth has completely evolved in human consciousness. And in our day, it seems that we're on the brink of another transformation in our understanding of truth. There it is. That's the hijacking of Jesus, the hijacking of Christianity. I am not here to defend my version of Christianity. Look, I just want to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus really is Lord. And this stuff is utter nonsense. Brilliant, carefully constructed, thoughtfully made nonsense. If you can see it for what it is, you can avoid the same theological car accident. If you're part of a church, if you're part of Brandon's congregation, I, I beg you to get out from under the, the layers of deception that are being spilled out. I mean, scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. Instead, we have God lying so that every man can be true and every man can be their own truth. This is not Christianity. And it's not that I'm offended. It's not that I'm triggered. It's that I care I love God. I love people enough to say, no, I'm going to be one of those who raises their voices, raises their hand and says, hey, that's definitely nonsense. It's it's affirming, it's self-affirming. It affirms all of us. It affirms me. It affirms you. But that's not always what sinners need, man. Sometimes we have to be told to repent. Truth really does matter. But there's no such thing as your truth, your personal truth. If it's your personal truth, that's just another way of saying it's just how you feel about things, what you wish was true, and maybe you want others to entertain that as well. And that can be very friend-making. That can make us get along better, but it doesn't help us with life. Like actual life will punish you 
if you live based on your own personal truth. And we don't want people to live on that. We believe that there is a real truth, an objective truth, fact-based truth that is relational as well because it's true. Because God is real, I can really have a relationship with him. It's beautiful. Christianity is beautiful. Progressive Christianity, something else. I hope you're sitting down because this is going to get ugly real quick. Did you know that there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses a racial slur? In Mark chapter 7, there's the account of the Seraphonician woman, a woman who is Syrian and Greek, both of which there were strong biases against within the Jewish community. And she comes to ask Jesus to heal her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And what is Jesus' response? He says, it's not good for me to give the children's food, meaning the children of Israel's food, to dogs. He calls her a dog. What's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work. And this woman was willing to stand up and speak truth. There are at least five very significant lies in the video you just heard. This is Reverend Brandon Robertson. And I say Reverend because that's the title he has. I don't know where he's ordained, but he is a proponent of um, pro-gay theology. And, and what I'm going to suggest is a different Christianity altogether. We're going to get into more of his theology later, but today we're going to unpack and deal with this Jesus was racist video. Absolute nonsense. It's wrong on so many levels. And I know several other Christians have done responses to this video, but there's some things that they haven't said that I would like to say, and that's what I'm going to give you today. Here's the breakdown. There are, again, a number of lies. Let's start with the first one. Here it is right now. Did you know that there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses a racial slur? Uh, no, it's not a racial slur. So Brandon wants you to think this is about racial prejudice. This is about reframing the text of the scripture in this passage to be about racial tensions, race, race issues, which is very, very like a 2021 thing to say and do right now, right? Like in our modern current culture, race is absolutely, and for good reason, race is an important issue for us to talk about. He's trying to read his agenda, though, his race agenda back into the text of scripture. Now, this is not random. This is not the only area where Brandon Robertson radically misunderstands the Bible, and I think on purpose. But this is not only him doing it, he actually gets this from his mentor, a guy named Miguel de la Torre. This is Miguel de la Torre. He is a scholar, a Latinx, that's the term he uses, a Latinx scholar. After Brandon Robertson brought this TikTok video, this this video that got tons of responses from people, pushback, he brought on his mentor, the guy he got this as his source, to have a back and forth discussion, an interview on the topic. This is Brandon talking to Dr. Miguel de la Torre. I'm going to now share with you how badly he rips the scripture to pieces to fit his current social agendas. It's really bad, you guys. Look, you know me. I just care about scripture. I want to know what it really says. I want to know what it really means. And and these guys, they are so committed to, to be honest, critical race theory views of humanity that they can't read the Bible anymore. Like it's become their religion. Listen to how he recasts it. Listen in detail. Notice all the steps that he takes because we can learn from this. Moving forward, this is going to be an increasing problem in the world. I don't know about you, but I am somewhat troubled with this particular verse. Imagine if my daughter was ill and I was to take her to the hospital 
And the doctor on duty would say, oh, I am sorry, but the medicine in this hospital are for real Americans and not for you Latino dogs. I don't know about you, but I will be somewhat offended. <laughs> and yet Jesus calls this woman a dog. Now, now, we have this habit of trying to save Jesus from Jesus, and we interpret this by saying, well, he was just testing her faith. But that doesn't wash with me, because no matter how much you want to convince me that the doctor was testing my faith, I would still be insulted. You see, every time I call a realtor to see if the property is still available, and they hear my accent and they say it is not, I am reminded that I am among the dogs of society. When a first-time Latino is, commits a crime, and he is more likely to receive 10 times more penalty than a white convict, I am reminded that we are the dogs of society. When our children are being ripped from the arms of their mothers and placed in cages, I am reminded that we are the dogs of society. So you have to forgive me if I am a little concerned about being asked to follow this Jesus who calls this woman of color a dog. This is a masterclass in how to manipulate the scripture to fit your current social agendas. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that, that, that racism is not a thing, although because um, it absolutely is. I actually have a long video where I teach on this. I'll link it below. We talk about the major real issues of racism, but we also talk about the problems with critical race theory as a it, it's a worldview that's incompatible with Christianity, I believe. Now, this is trying to make them compatible. So to make them compatible, he's changing Christianity to fit his worldview. He says it's about this, this term dog is equivalent to a modern phrase, Latino dogs, right? Which I phrase I've never even heard anybody use, but but that's that's the phrase that he's, he wants to say is basically in Jesus's mouth. He also calls her a colored woman, which is really interesting. We'll get there in a minute about the, the, the strangeness of this. But this is just a masterclass in how to twist the Bible to fit your current social agenda. Now, I want you to see him in conversation with Brandon Robertson, and they're actually talking about this. Listen to what he says. Now, you know he's a scholar. You think he's a scholar. He knows his stuff. Listen to what he says, and then I will explain to you how it's completely a lie. Like, it's not factually true and it's not hard to prove it here we go to you know to have jesus say i'm sorry but you're a dog and i'm not going to give you this now of course not only a dog but a female dog so i mean even the the, the word may have been a little stronger than, than, than the cleanup version that we're using so let's just be clear the entire case that he has that brandon has that jesus was racist hangs on the meaning of this word dog it's when jesus says it's not good to give the children's food to dogs now first off he doesn't say you are a dog that's not a phrase that jesus says they're both they both change jesus's words and the woman's words in order to fit their way of wanting to interpret it um he refers to dogs it, it, it's it, as plural as a category of people which is to say that they're not jews they're not the children brandon hinted at this in his one minute video but then he immediately leapt away from it and jumped over to the idea of race instead of religion. It's a religious issue. But let me push back on this idea that uh, the word dog there is meant to be a derogatory racial term. And and the doctor, scholar, Miguel de la Torre, says that it was used in the feminine. And the feminine word, it means 
the basically the B word, right? He's saying the B word about this woman, which really changes your approach to Jesus. And he says, oh, don't try to save Jesus from Jesus, right? These are these are lies. This is this is not true about what actually happened in the text. This is somehow uh, appropriate in his mind, but it's not actually what Scripture says. So let's look at the actual word itself. This is the word Jesus used. He used the word uh, kunarion, right? That's the lexical form of the word. He acted uh, kunariois because he he did the plural dogs. So kunarion is dog, little dog. I've given you literally a list here on the side of the screen of a bunch of different lexicons and the way they translate the word. So little dogs, dog, puppy, house dog, little dog. You notice the word little is used a lot, lap dog. You see, there's different words for dog in the Greek, and this word represents more of a pet, right? And in her culture, right, the Syrophoenician groups, they actually did have dogs as pets on occasions. In fact, the more affluent families did, which it's good. There's a good chance she was actually a more affluent type of a person. There's a decent chance that that was the case. But notice this. If you look at the top of the screen right here, let me see if I can find the spot right here. There's a line that says noun, dative, plural, neuter. That's because the word Jesus used in the very verses in Mark and in Matthew, where he says it's not good to throw to the dogs, right? The children's bread. It's neuter. It's not feminine. There, this is a simple, obvious, factual error. Miguel de la Torre wants to make this an ugly, ugly word. So he, he takes modern English conventions. When you use a feminized word of dog to talk down to somebody, it is very much meant to be derogatory and insulting. Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses a word for house pets, for house dogs. There is another word that does have that derogatory meaning. And it's and, and again, it's, it's not feminine, right? Now, in the, in the Greek, I don't think the feminine would matter that much because all the words are feminine and masculine. It doesn't have as much of a heavy hit as it does in English. At any rate, here's the actual word that you would use if you wanted to just give a derogatory term dog when referring to somebody. It's the word kuon or uh, kusin in this particular verse when Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is holy. Now, what I want you to notice about this, if you care about the Bible and you care about truth, I want you to know Jesus says this about people who are spiritual unbelievers who openly reject right the message of the gospel. And he describes those who are combative and who are persecuting as dogs. This is a very negative term, dog. This is this is, a, but it's a spiritual thing because it's only it's it's a reference to anybody of any race or any ethnicity, but that they are hostile to the gospel upon hearing it. They d- decide to respond with mockery and um, and all that sort of thing. So you you move along. You go to the next person and share. You don't just stay sharing with them forever. So there, you can see on your screen. There's even some strong words being used there. If Jesus wanted the most insulting word, this is the word he would have used. Yet in the New Testament, when the word dog is used. It always uses this really derogatory term. It's not racial, though. It's just derogatory. It is It is negative. It's not racial. That's modern reading into the ancient text. But when Jesus talks to this woman, it's the only place in the entire New Testament where four times, twice in Matthew, twice in Mark, he uses the soft word for dog. He uses canarion or canariois. This is the little dogs, the lap dogs, the house dog. In other words, there's a sense in which there isn't a rejection, a whole rejection of this woman. And it's not about her being a woman in the first place. It's not being used in that sense. This means the guy is being dishonest. Miguel de la Torre, who is the source for Brandon Robertson, who is you know, getting a lot of attention by producing blasphemous content, to be completely honest. They're also producing fallacious content. It's not only blasphemous against the person of Christ. It's fallacious. It's false. It's based on deceit and misrepresentation of an ancient text that modern eyes can easily misread. 
We don't want to take it wrong. We don't want to save Jesus from Jesus, but we certainly want to save Jesus from Brandon Robertson and Miguel de la Torre. That's definitely a goal of mine. Yes, when the Bible wants to be uh, more harsh and it uses the term dog, right? With those authors, Revelation twenty two fifteen says outsider of the dogs. That's Kuon. Philippians three two says look out for the dogs. That and those are Jews he's talking about. Not all Jews, but in particular a certain subclass of those who are hostile to the gospel. That's the word Kuon. Yeah. This is, this is just deceit. So the question then comes up, what is the purpose of calling her dog? Like, what is Jesus getting at? It's obviously not a compliment. Okay, we all agree on this. This is, I'm just saying, don't couch it in 2021 critical race theory, like racial tension language, this or, or gender issues language, because that's not the case at all. The significance of the term dog here, biblically, it's about her being part of a people group who has abandoned the God of creation and given themselves as a community over to idols, right? She is part of the Syrophoenicians. She's a, a Canaanite in one way of thinking about it. Like Matthew says, she's, um, she's basically worshiping idols. She's worshiping false idols. That is her lifestyle. She just happens to come across Jesus. I mean, three miles north of where they meet in Tiberias, there's an, there's an idol, a false god that was a god of healing. She may well have been trekking there to go and appeal to this false god and then her, hears about Jesus. And like many of those who are in these pluralistic religions, she thinks, hey, Jesus, I'll give him a shot too. You know, he, you know, I'm not saying there's nothing about him. I, I worship idols, but I also may come over here and ask for his help. So Jesus is trying to humble the woman to let her realize you are asking for help from the Jewish Messiah, yet you have rejected that God, the God of creation. So you see, this is about religious issues, not racial issues. This isn't about cultural issues per se. It's about it's about God. It's about this, the fact that she's part of a group of people who has rejected God. And the promises about Jesus are to the people of Israel first, and then as a flow to the rest of the world. This is why it's not specifically about her being a Syrophoenician. This Syrophoenician woman, it's not like she's Irish American. This is again, a 21st century reading into the text. The issue is not that Jewish people don't like Greek people. The issue is that Jesus's mission of salvation is to the Jew first, and then it will come to the Gentile as well. Look at the Bible's attitude towards those who are not in Christ, who are not in Messiah, those who are part of the Gentile or the non-Jewish world. Paul writes to these Ephesians who were largely Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is the sense in which Jesus is saying she's part of the dogs, those who have rejected God. Now you might say, Mike, Jesus is being very offensive here. And I'm going to, I'm just going to agree with you and say, yes, he is. He's being offensive in a way you need him to be. You have abandoned God in your life too. You need to turn your heart to Christ. This doesn't mean Jews don't have to repent. No, the Bible says both do. The, the, the non-Jews who have forsaken the God of creation and built all these religions of their own, to, or, or, or the Jew who having the information from the God of creation still committed sin, still fell short of God's glory. Everyone needs to humble themselves and repent. We're all outside until we're brought in. Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. He tells everybody, you got to repent. They want to make this about her pride and about her self-like respect and all these things. But Jesus is actually calling us to humble ourselves. That's what's happening here. And it's completely missed because these guys have rejected the gospel and they've replaced it with their views of race and and power dynamics and all these other things that are, there's half truth in those things, but they're not biblical teachings. Look again at a master of scripture manipulation. Look at how hard he tries to turn this from a issue of religious affiliation with the true God or false gods to a question about 
women of color, women of color and race issues as if, I mean, it sounds as though it's about 21st century race issue dynamics when it's really not. Listen to this. Now, at the time, Jews did not associate with the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the other. The Canaanites were those people of color that, that, that if you touch, you become unpure. So the Canaanites were the marginalized of the time of Jesus. Salvation was not for them color folks who are the Canaanites. But then Jesus meets a woman of color. He learned from this woman of color. Jesus, in all of his humanity, was willing to learn from a woman of color. Jesus was able to learn from a woman of color. Look, I'm all for learning from women of color. I don't care. I just, he's butchering the scripture for his agenda. That's the problem that's going on here. This is not a, there's no color dynamic going on here. You know what Jesus looked like? Jesus looked like this woman of color. Like, like they're, they're both Middle Easterns. They both come from basically the same area and they both are going to look pretty stinking similar. Fairly dark skinned, at least compared to me. Okay. That's, that's normal. That's just how people looked back then, especially I mean, Jesus himself would have very possibly been darker than her, being that he's out traveling all the time. He's in the sun all the time. And that's pretty much has, his job as an itinerant preacher, basically. So it's just so crazy. I mean, Jesus to Jesus, this woman would not have looked much different than Mary, his mom. <laughs> this is there's not an issue there with Jesus and women. He invites women to be his disciples. He, he allows them to sit at his feet while he's teaching and encourages them. He defends them when people come against him. Like Jesus elevates women, period, like way beyond their culture. It was definitely not culturally normal the way that Jesus treats women. So, yeah, this, these are just incredible biases on behalf of Brandon Robertson and on behalf of his source, his guru, Miguel de la Torre. It's not the point at all. So the first major lie, the biggest lie of this whole video is that Jesus is having a moment of racial tension and racial derogatory comments about a woman of color who is then responding with boldness. In fact, that's the second lie. The second lie is that she responds by speaking truth to power. Listen to how Brandon Robertson purposely butchers what scripture says in this passage. What's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Yeah. Let's take a look for a second at what the scripture actually says. It actually says versus Brandon Robertson's version of the scripture. His his statement, let me, I'm going to put it on your screen. This is the Brandon Robertson woke version of the Bible, okay? Mark 7, 28. Um, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Look at what she actually says. Yes, Lord. Now, he's replaced the phrase, yes, Lord, with you can think that about me. Yes, Lord is an affirmation. Yes, Lord is an agreement. The woman agrees with Jesus. Jesus, you're right. I am not of the people who have held the word of God and carried it through the centuries. I am not one who has been faithful to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, to the true God through my life. I am an idolater. I am outside. I have no claim on the promises for the people of Israel, except that those promises do overflow to the world because your grace is that big. So she agrees with him and says, yes, Lord. He goes, it's not fitting right? To take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let the children be fed first. And Jesus is like, or the woman, she says, yes, yes, Lord, I agree. 
She agrees with Jesus. She doesn't speak truth to power. She doesn't push back against him as, as though she thinks he's wrong. She affirms it. And then she appeals for grace. She says, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. But that's not what the Brandon Robertson version says. His version says, even the dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Notice the word deserve that he says right here. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. What Brandon adds is a disagreement. The woman says, no, Lord, you're wrong. Right? You can think that about me if you want. Like, you're wrong. She pushes back. Then he adds deserve, but she doesn't say deserve. She's, she's appealing to grace. She hears Jesus use the diminutive form of this word dog that implies a pet, like a loved house pet is, is, is a possible understanding of this word. And she takes it that way. Like this is Jesus who prompts her response because Jesus is meaning to do this thing all along. He doesn't change his mind. He's not being racial and, and sexist. No, he's, he's giving her the proper perspective to have on the kindness of God going to the non-Jew. We experience the overflow of God's love. Or I should say the overflow of God's blessings to Israel. They, they pour out to all, the whole world through there. The word deserve is never there. So it's the opposite. In both cases, she says the opposite of what Brandon Robertson, the reverend who calls himself a reverend, says he speaks and, and teaches in, as, a, as a minister of the gospel of Christ in places. He completely turns upside down what she says. She agrees. You're right. I don't deserve these things, but I'm appealing to your grace. That's how I would interpret her statement about even the dogs uh, get the, get the um, children's crumbs under the table. I think that's pretty, pretty powerful. In other words, the woman, if she heard Brandon Robertson's TikTok video today, she would be appalled at how she's being misrepresented and how Jesus is being demonized, especially the same Jesus that healed her daughter. But where is it coming from then? Like, where is he getting the interpretation that she demanded, that she required, that she was like pushing back? Like she's she's confronting Jesus. She's speaking truth to power. These are obviously very loaded modern terms that don't apply very well to the text of scripture. But he's getting this from Miguel de la Torre again. This is his source right here. This woman cross borders of her gender and her ethnicity in order to demand to be treated as an equal. Demand. She demanded, she demanded, right, that this uh, gender and ethnicity, he makes it all about race and sex, and she demanded, but that's not what the text actually says. All right, let's look at the third lie that we have in this short TikTok video. And this, this is the problem, I would say, with TikTok videos in general. It's a lot easier to cram large numbers of lies into a short space and deceive people than it is to cram large numbers of truths, because truths aren't always easily summarized as well as um, untruths are. But at any rate, here's the third one. Her boldness bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Okay, the lie is that she changed Jesus' mind. Jesus didn't change his mind here. Jesus never changed his mind about non-Jews. And I mean, it, listen, you guys, you might see I'm like a little worked up. But that's because I've been listening to hours and hours of this guy's content, as along with Miguel de la Torre, and it's really a whole different Christianity. Look, I, I love holding hands with Christians of different stripes. I love disagreeing with people and agreeing to disagree. Like, here's my Calvinist brother, here's my Arminian brother, and I'm like, let's hold hands, let's, let's worship God together. Here's my cessationist brother, here's my charismatic brother, and I want to hold hands. There's a hyper-charismatic group, and I'm like, you're still my brother in Christ. I love holding hands across these different groups. I can't hold hands with these guys. This is a butchering of, of Christianity at the core. I'm actually going to another video later this week where I go in detail about the actual theology and how at the core of it, the theology is completely uh, corrupt. We'll get into that. 
later on. For now, though, let's talk about this whole idea that, that Jesus changed his mind. Um, and this is a big narrative we get from Miguel de la Torre. He suggests, and I'm going to play a clip from him in a second. He suggests, as you hear this clip, that Jesus, as he's walking the earth, he plans to be the salvation for the Jews, but he has no agenda to save Gentiles. And it's only after meeting this woman that he, and, and he's like, he calls her a, a, the B word, the effective equivalent of the B word. And then she changes his mind. And he's like, wow, your little riddle changed my mind. I'm not racist anymore. I'm not sexist anymore. I guess I'll save the world, not just the Jews. Like this is, listen, I'm not making this up. Listen to this. And then I'll push back against it with what the Bible actually says. So the Canaanites were the marginalized of the time of Jesus. And it's interesting that for Jesus at the time, salvation was only for the Jews. In Matthew 10, 5, Jesus' missionary instructions were to go out only to the Jewish nation. So he begins his ministry in chapter 15, 24 by saying, Do not turn your steps to pagan territory and do not enter any Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Salvation was not for them color folks who are the Canaanites. But then Jesus meets a woman of color who challenges Jesus. And he begins by telling her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not I was first sent to them or I'll get to you later, but I was only sent to them. So, so quite frankly, all these other people were not included in this salvation plan until he learned from this woman of color. Now, Jesus learns the lesson because by Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is now saying, go therefore to all nations and make disciples of all people. Um, can I just, on a like if you go to this this church, wherever these guys are, these three guys sat there and let this man blaspheme the name of Christ, distort the very message of the love of God for for all people and the love of Christ for all people, all in the name of his 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 uh, his cultural agenda. Which, if you want to go against racism, like I'm with you on that. But this power dynamics critical race theory reading of scripture is not that. Right. This is this is a way of distorting Christianity for a distorted social agenda. I'm, I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, Racism is a serious issue. We got to push against it. We got to fight against it. As Christians, we should speak up. We should act accordingly. According to Miguel de la Torre, Jesus's opinion of the Gentiles is y'all can just go to hell. Right? Like I, there's there's no salvation for you colored folk. That's the term he uses. Like my goodness, to throw dynamite into the text of Scripture and, and uh, I just want to. It makes me want to throw up. So what's really going on here? Uh, Miguel tries to push back and say that Jesus, you could say, well, it was the Jew first and then the Gentile, which by the way, by the way, that has always been the teaching of the church because it's always been the teaching of the Bible. It was not only for the Jews. It was only for the Jews first to hear the message and get the messenger, Jesus. And then it was to spread to the whole world. And this was always the plan. But now I, as a pastor who thinks that Jesus was, I don't know, like right all the time, I have to like go and prove that early in Jesus's ministry, he had an agenda to save the whole world and not just the Jews. So let's do it, shall we? Um, and, and let's go through some scripture here now to prove the case. In the Old Testament, 
And and now you have to ask yourself this: Did Jesus have the Old Testament? Did he know the Old Testament? Did Jesus? I wonder what Miguel de la Torre thinks here. Did Jesus, when he's thirty years old and he begins his ministry, does he does he know the prophecies about himself in the Bible? I mean, you you have to say he does because he quotes them all the time. So in Isaiah forty nine six, we actually have a scripture that does say that the purpose is not just for the Jews, right? Oh, let me get rid of the Brennan Robertson woke version. There it goes. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the, the preserved of Israel. It's too small. It's not enough for you just to save the Jews. I will make you as a light for the nations. That's the word Gentiles there. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Did, now, the question you'd have to ask if you care about theology, right? Did Jesus know that this was about him? when he's early in his ministry, or is Miguel de la Torre correct that Jesus thinks he's only going to save the Jews and he's just kind of ignorant of Isaiah 49, 6. Well, we actually have some support that Jesus specifically, I mean, if you need the support, <laughs> that Jesus specifically was, was consciously, humanly aware of these passages. And that is in Luke chapter 4, because he quotes Isaiah and says it's about him in Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth, and this, this, is, this is key. Okay, I'm building a biblical case here. You want to think biblically about things. Here we go. As he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue and this, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found that place where it was written. And then he reads. Now, this is just, you know, this is early in Jesus' ministry. It's Luke chapter 4, very early in Jesus' ministry. And he quotes this about himself. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It couldn't be any more bold, right? Jesus is like, look, I am the one who's doing this. It's me. So it's an order issue, not an exclusive issue. It's Jew first, also to the Greek. I can add more to this case. Do you know that in Jesus's genealogy, there were two Canaanites? There were two Canaanite women. One was Rahab and one was Ruth. They're both women and they're both Canaanites and they're in Jesus's genealogy. And the Bible includes them because there is no prejudice against these women for their, for their, um, their origin or, or their genetics, right? Both of them, they turn to the God of Israel. It's a religious issue, not a race issue that's going on. We also have Simeon's prophecy in Luke 2.32. Do you think Jesus knew about it? I mean, if, if Luke knew about it all these years later, I think Jesus probably knew about it. This is what was said over Jesus as an infant. And I think that his mom told him about this. A light that Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is to reveal truth to the Gentiles. Jesus' mission from the beginning was known to be this. Miguel de la Torre's self-serving butchering, where he just throws Jesus under the bus in order to support his his perspective, um, his his sort of like social, you know, agendas that he's got. It's not consistent with scripture. Somehow Luke knows, but Jesus never did. Somehow Jesus quotes Isaiah 49, but doesn't read two verses prior. Like, is Jesus that ignorant of scripture, according to Miguel de la Torre? Also, Jesus has already healed at Gennesaret. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, before he meets this woman, he's already healed in a location that was largely Gentile. So he's already been helping Gentiles. Also, 
and, and this is remarkable. This is probably one of the strongest things I can offer you in, to push back against the bad theology of Miguel de la Torre, who he needs to repent, openly repent of his open blaspheming of the name of Christ and the damage it does to the world. Because you know who loves Brandon Robertson and Miguel de la Torre? Skeptics and atheists who have an ax to grind against scripture. Because you're, you're like, you to them, you look like a Christian. Miguel, Brandon, to them, you look like a Christian. And you're affirming all of their prejudices against the Bible for them. So it's, So they love you. This is why they want to lift you up. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. Um, and it's it's effectively stabbing Jesus in the back. Now, this is remarkable. Um, Jesus, while he was at Nazareth, let's go back to Luke 4. I think you're going you're gonna to love this because this absolutely proves unequivocally that Jesus not only was not racist or sexist against this woman, but that this whole thing had been planned out from the beginning because it was it was Jesus's intention to heal this woman's child, but to do it in a way that made sure that they understood some some important truths about who Jesus is and about how the gospel works. So let me let me build my case if I can. Luke four twenty four through thirty. This is Jesus at Nazareth. This is Jesus right after reading the, from the scroll from the same passage that says the light's going to go to the Gentiles. Right, that that same passage. Then in Luke four twenty four, Jesus says this to the people in Nazareth. You've got to pick up on this. What Jesus tells them in Luke four twenty four, as we read these verses through thirty, it makes them so mad that they want to kill Jesus. And can I say, spoiler alert: the reason is because what he says it talks about the Gentiles receiving salvation. All right, listen. And this is before he meets the woman and calls her a dog, calls his her people dogs. And he said, "Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his." hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, Tyre and Sidon, right? This is a woman who is healed by Elijah, right? She's helped by Elijah, even though there's plenty of other widows who are Jews that Elijah doesn't help. Does this sound like the words of someone who thinks that there's no salvation for the Gentiles? No, Miguel de la Torre, you're just lying about Christ. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He's literally a Syrian. So Tyre and Sidon, where Jesus meets the woman, and Syria, where she's actually from, he, he mentions two people that were healed, that were non-Jews, that were taken care of by the prophets of God, mentions how it's because the prophets of God are not accepted by the Jewish people in their own homes. And then they get so mad, they're filled with wrath, and they rise to drive him out of the town, and they're going to throw him off a cliff. They want to kill him. The thing here is that what Jesus did not long after meeting in Nazareth and saying these things is he travels over to Tyre. And there he meets a Syrophoenician woman. And even though he did very few miracles in Nazareth, he heals this woman's daughter. He is, he is showing you that what was pictured with Elijah is true of Christ as well. This is all deliberate. It's all purposeful. It has nothing to do with racism or any of that. The idea is that Jews, you're going to reject this gospel, but they're also learning another lesson. The gospel's for the Gentiles. It's for the Gentiles. So Jesus, it ne he never changed. It was the Jew first and the rest of the world the whole time. The verses that Miguel de la Torre quotes, he quotes out of context. He deliberately um, mis misuses and abuses scripture, ruffles my feathers because there's sincere mistakes. And then there's agenda-driven deliberate mistakes. And that's what we're seeing here. That's what we're seeing here. Now, now, I hope you guys will pray for Miguel de la Torre. I hope you'll pray for Brandon Robertson. But I hope you'll pray even more for the many people who hear their information and get deceived to hate scripture, hate Jesus, or 
get pulled into what ultimately is effectively a, a non-Christian religion pretending to be Christianity. It's very sad. So Jesus never changes. He never changes. His agenda all along has been salvation to the whole world. He just wants to put it in the proper context. It's the woman who changes. The woman is the one who comes in. She's humbled. She she realizes, you're right. I, I am of a people who are idolaters. She's probably an idolater herself. And she has to acknowledge this. Come humbly, humbly. And this is the message of the gospel. Everyone has to come humbly to the cross. You need to humble yourself. I'm not a dog. I'm, I'm not bad. No, you are. You need Jesus, man. You need forgiveness. You need grace. This is the nature of the gospel is you got to admit who you really are. You are one who's fallen short of God's glory. And when you come to Jesus and you say, yes, Lord, but if I could just have the blessings and the benefits of your love anyways, then he receives you with open arms. He lifts up the humble. He resists the proud. Brandon and Miguel celebrate this woman as if she's full of pride. The opposite is true. She's full of humility. And for that reason, I celebrate her because of her humility as an example to me to come to Jesus and say, I don't deserve it, but I appeal to your grace. What I'm saying so far is that Miguel de la Torre is actually intentionally recreating a new Jesus to fit his cultural agendas. Okay, I've been saying that pretty loud and clear. What I'm going to show you now is a clip where he says it too, that he says that he's doing this. Now, the reason he's doing this is because he thinks there's a white Jesus that's evil that he wants to get rid of. His solution to that problem is to create a Latino Jesus, right? Who's going to champion the things he wants Jesus to champion. So listen to it in his own words. This is where we, we make true observations that some people have tried to take Jesus and fit him into their culture. And we need to we need to stop that, right? But the solution is not what he suggests, fitting Jesus into your culture, remaking Jesus to fit your image instead. I will understand Jesus using my own cultural symbols. And even if I get it wrong, it's still my Jesus. Yeah, it's your, it's your Jesus, but you got it wrong. Notice that he doesn't care if he gets it wrong. He cares if it's his Jesus. Look, you don't get to have your own Jesus. There's like one real Jesus. You can accept him, reject him. But if you have your Jesus, your own Jesus, that's a fake one. That's like having your own God. This is this is what the Canaanites did. This is, this is what Jesus is rebuking with the woman. They have these false gods and they're basically saying, I will understand God with my own cultural symbols. And if I get the wrong Jesus, the wrong God, at least it's my own God. You know, and Jesus is rebuking this. This is why they're outside. This is why they're the dogs, so to speak. So sadly, he's falling into the same mistake Jesus, I think, is refuting and rebuking in this case. And now we get to the fourth lie, the fourth lie in this one-minute video. Boy, it's easier to quickly tell lies than to quickly tell truth, isn't it? Anyway, here we are. Here's the fourth one. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. Jesus repents of his racism. Um, there's nothing in the text that says Jesus changed his mind. There's nothing in the text that says Jesus repented of anything. I get that the text is challenging. I think it's meant to be because it's meant to humble all mankind before God. But look at what it actually says. So in the text we have up here on the screen to look at, there's nothing here, no words here that suggest that Jesus repented. It looks more like the woman was being tested than anything else, right? Because he goes, for this statement, you may go your way, the demons left your daughter. You agreed with me. And you humbled yourself and appealed for grace because you're coming humbly. I am going to give you grace. Like that, that's how I would read the passage. How is Jesus changing there? He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. This is the way God always has worked. There's no repentance here. He's consistent from Old to New Testament. Jesus didn't repent of racism. He didn't have racism. He didn't have cultural systemic racism that was infecting him in some way. There's this. This is all just modern 
modern agendas being read into the text of scripture because the real Lord here is critical race theory. All right, we get to our fifth lie, the final lie in the video. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work. Did Jesus do his work? This, this again, is a loaded term, do his work. There, there's sort of a, a lesson we're all being taught is that everyone's effectively racist and you have to do your work, which means sort of like humbling yourself and being, to admit, being able to admit no matter how much you don't think you're racist or sexist, you really are. Your culture is for you and you're, you're complicit with your culture, these types of teachings. This is not what scripture teaches us. Okay, this is, again, an agenda outside the Bible being pushed onto Christianity. Jesus didn't do his work. Okay, there's no work for him to do here. Not in that regard, not, not in that terminology. Jesus didn't have prejudices. Now, can I rescue Jesus from Brandon Robertson real quick? Jesus having prejudices is antithetical to the gospel itself. If he had any prejudice at all, he would stay in heaven and he would simply judge us all. He'd just blow up the world and end everybody. If he had prejudices, it's not hard to simply play those out. His act of coming in human form, where he takes on a lowly form of a bondservant, like a nobody, it's proof that he has no prejudices against us. He's doing it for us. He knows how wicked we are. That's right judgment, not pre-prejudice in a negative sense. He knows we're wicked, and he comes and bears our sin instead. He loves us so much, and we don't deserve it. This casts Jesus as sort of like a bigot. Like he just cares about his Jewish people. He's just being tribal, right? Like he's he's othering. He's othering the rest of the world. I'm sorry, but compared to God, the rest of the world is others. And the fact that he comes and bears our sin, that he dies for us in our wickedness, that he. He wears our image, you know, in, in a human form, and then he dies on a cross at our hands. To then accuse him of prejudice is to not understand, like John 3.16, that God is the world. To not know that it was, for, it was love that held him there the whole time, that he did it for all of us. It's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But it gives me a great opportunity, doesn't it, to talk about the glorious gospel of Christ. To tell you that Jesus does love you, and that even if nobody else has loved you, he has. But not because you deserve it. It's just because he's love. He just loves that much. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He doesn't have work to do. He's so beyond that. Uh, no, he, he lived humility and love every day, every step of the way. I think Brandon Robertson needs to do his work. And Brandon, if you're watching this video, um, I, honestly, please, man, please repent. Like actually the biblical meaning of the word repent. I know you have a new definition of repent. And I pray that I call to you uh, in the harshest possible sense. I got to tell you, please, please, man, you're not just wrong. You're also a false teacher. You're teaching wrong to others and causing them harm. And you're on the hook for the things that you're spreading. Don't follow Brandon as he follows the Jesus that he makes up. Follow Christ follow Christ and only follow people as much as they actually follow Christ. So there's one last reason why I want to mention why Jesus called this woman a dog. And, and because he could just say everyone's a dog, every human's a dog in the sense they all have to repent, but he specifically mentions non-Jews as dogs. And the idea is this, that the Bible is, and this is super, super important for our modern culture. The, the Bible's trying to, the new Testament, Jesus himself is trying to make sure that we know that you have to interpret Jesus through the lens of the old Testament right? That Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, that the law, the prophets, and the writings are commentary on Christ, and that he is the fulfillment of them. So when you go to old and new, you realize you can't ever abandon the Old Testament to understand who Christ is. This is to prevent us from doing what Brandon and Miguel are doing, which is making their own Jesus, making a modern Jesus to fit their current cultural agendas. He's like, nope, you got to look 
at the context of the Old Testament to know who the Messiah is and then see him as one who's fulfilling God's promises to Abraham, one who's fulfilling the law, one who's fulfilling the prophets. Jesus, in other words, is the Old Testament Messiah who has come now fully revealed in the new. You're not supposed to interpret him apart from the Bible. Real Christianity never ditches the scriptures because the scriptures are the interpretive grid for understanding who Jesus is.